0: This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. I'm not going to agree that we should choke America's business, American industry, America's way of life if we can't get the absolute 100% guaranteed cooperation of every other country on the planet Earth, including India, China, Russia, and everything in between. And they're not stopping. They're not stopping. So you're going to kill our economy, which you did during COVID. Same thing. Politically, two weeks to flatten the curve. And what you did was flatten industry and business throughout the country. So many people went out of business. I mean, the damage is memorialized. Everybody's got that. So we don't have to try to prove it. It's done. It's there. And now you're going to tell me you're willing to sacrifice more of our economy and our way of life. He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio. His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike. The year, hey, you know what? It's coming to a close. It's almost there. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. At the very least, maybe it was a great Christmas. And I really hope so. There's a few Christmas leftovers. We had a big turkey here. Katrina and her mom did this whole big cooking, everything. Turkey and stuffing and the whole thing. I also want to talk about the new year coming and where we've been and where we're going. But first off, I just want to say Christmas was great. And there's always these Christmas memories that I I know I didn't talk about. But the one was, you know, we lived in the projects. We didn't have much of anything. I can tell you that. My dad worked three jobs, drove a cab, worked in a luncheonette, did some other stuff. Can't even remember it changed so much while he was going to school at night. But Christmas time. He knew. I mean, we're Jewish. And you believe me, my grandmother and most of the family were very orthodox. We were in our own way and and very active in the Jewish community. But you know, when you, you live in the Christian world, everybody's bringing presents for Christmas. And I think that my dad knew that his kids weren't any different. And I can remember the earliest time, it was just me and my brother Jack, even before my brother Scott was born. And things are really tough. Christmas Eve or whenever it was, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, I don't remember because we didn't have a Christmas tree and stuff like that. But he would come in with Christmas presents. Now, yes, it was practical. Don't get me wrong. I remember if, if people would to say the best Christmas present you ever got, you know, Christmas came. It was already getting cold in New York. It was getting there. And we got one pair of shoes for the year. We got one coat. And that was usually for longer than a year. It was a couple of seasons. A couple of seasons meant a couple of years. But I remember one Christmas, I got this great leather jacket. I don't know how old I was, but probably around 11, 12. I wore it for years. And it was great. But, you know, it wasn't the point. The point was when everybody else was getting Christmas presents and talking about Santa Claus and, and all that, after thinking about it, that was a great memory. And there was another memory that I didn't share. It That was when my dad died, and I had my brother Scott at home. I was 13 at the time. My sister Laurie was four, and my dad's best friend, who became my business partner, more of a mentor, Ronnie Roy and his wife, they lived on Long Island. And, oh, my God, they took such care to make sure that I was doing everything right for the kids. I can't thank them enough for everything that they did, and especially, you know, it was just became a custom to drive out to the Roy's house on Long Island on Christmas mornings. I mean, kind of like, you know, almost every weekend we were there. I don't know what to say. They were so generous and kind and helping. I mean, they did it all. But Christmas mornings at the Roy's with their kids. It was a special memory. I, I don't want to leave that out when I'm talking about Christmas being a special time of the year. Think about this great holiday that we celebrate, the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, whether it's your God or, you know, just a fellow Jew. (laughs) It's a great time of the year. Come on. It's a Christian nation. Let's all be gracious about it and appreciative of it and celebrate. I, I also want to talk about the fact that my friend, Snowman, president of the local San Diego chapter of the Booze Fighters, Picked up till picked up the torch. Frank King started a drive. I was back at San Diego Harley Davidson in '93, four, or five. We did everything we can to help and support Frank King. And I, I remember year after year putting the bikes together at Frank's house in National City. And everybody went to Frank's backyard you know, September, October, November, getting ready, getting bicycles, you know, having people donate old bikes that needed parts and bikes. And then Channel 9, KOSI, used to come and film it and put it on the news. Yeah, they did that once or twice before Christmas, which helped get Frank a lot of help, a lot of donations. But he did it every year. And when he passed, the Booze Fighters took over that. And we're talking hundreds of bicycles for kids, starting at like 6 in the morning on Christmas Day on the streets of National City with a lot of other toys. I mean, toys for everybody. And there's clothing. and There's other stuff. But there are all these bicycles. They get them donated. They fix up all the ones. They get brand new bicycles donated. And just kudos to them. And then there's one more that I also left out. Another leftover. Frank Opp. Frank King. Frank Opp. Frank Opp of Hell's Kitchen fame and good friend of mine. He puts together a ride and has been. And they visit Orange County Children's Hospital and bring presents and do things for kids with cancer. There's so much other stuff going on all over the country. How can anybody say there's no such thing as Santa Claus? It's not some dude in a red suit and a long white beard. It's an idea. It's an idea that anybody could put on this red suit and this beard and this hat and this thing And go around and do good things and give. And thousands and thousands of people every year at malls, in schools, everybody does it. You can't get through a Christmas season without seeing Santa Claus multiple times in multiple places. So how can people say there's no such thing as Santa? Of course there's such a thing. (laughs) you're not going to believe your lying eyes? There's Santa Claus every place you look. And I've had this discussion before over the years when people say, stop it, it's just, it's a made-up thing. Take a look out there. Santa Claus is real, and that's a fact. And the, the last but not least, who did you forget on Christmas? Oh, yeah, every year, right? I know, I'm the worst. I don't know how organized people do it because I'm so not that way. I'm always a last-minute guy. I kind of think of a few names, I jot them down, and then I get all these Merry Christmas text messages for Thanksgiving and New Year, and I I catch them and I try to get, because I'm just not that organized. I'm just not. But the good thing about Christmas is we all get a second shot. That's right. If you left out one or two or three or whatever, You can now sit down and between now and New Year's, you could try to remember whoever you forgot, put that group together with the group that you already did, and there's, you know, your Happy New Year. (laughs) And that's it. You get out there and fix the problems. It's all good. You're ready for the New Year. (laughs) I know. It's crazy. But, you know, 2022, it's less than a week away. It's around the corner. It's coming, folks. And I know that it can't come quick enough, at least not for me. Every year you're looking forward to a better next year, and that's all true. But I don't think it's ever been quite the way it is right now. We've been through some tough times in this country. We've been through some scary times. We've been through it all. We've been through wars. We've been through depressions and recessions, and we've been through all kinds of of crazy times especially in the last 20 30 years i mean everything going on in the 90s 911 came boom the world changed right there 08 with the housing crash the crisis that ensued which was all the the government guaranteeing of those loans and it all fell apart and so it was a tough time it was a tough time, and and we went through it. But I don't think I can remember a tougher time than this year since Joe Biden took over the White House. Did he get elected? Did they not? Someone the who thinks the election was stolen—that's right. Am I not entitled to that? How come when you say the election was stolen, oh the big lie, oh the liar? Hey, look, that's my opinion, okay? That's my real, honest opinion. What does it mean? I don't know. What kind of shenanigans were played? What was the concerted kind of a group effort by all these big social media giants, these tech giants out there in Silicon Valley and wherever else? They live and meet and gather and and plan and have their war on conservative America, which is what it is. So call it rigged. All these groups that seem to have more influence on what America does, how we vote, how we think, what we buy. And it, it is so much that they all got together and said, we're going to elect Joe Biden. Or they stole the election. You know, the five, six states, those critical states, they call the battleground states, where just coincidentally, those states where Trump was leading at 10 o'clock at night, and they closed down the counting, and at 5 o'clock in the morning, mysteriously, Biden was winning those states that we seem to be looking at and auditing those elections now one by one. Yeah, all of that. And just the fact that Trump was tremendously popular and successful, had a great presidency, 75 million legitimate, absolutely honest votes. We know that. That's the highest it's ever been except for the 81 million that Joe Biden got. How do he get them? By sitting in his basement? Now, we've seen presidential campaigns for as long as I can remember. We've seen them historically. We've read about them. I mean, these presidents who rode through the country in a, in a locomotive, campaigning on the back of a caboose and all that, a campaign for an election has always been a big rah-rah, get out there, make your speeches, kiss babies, shake hands, do all That's what you do. And nobody did it better than Donald Trump with his rallies and all the stuff. And Joe Biden didn't do any of that. Oh, so is this the new way to campaign? Look, I don't want to get off on a tangent about the election. I just want to say that part of what's disturbing about last year is that those of us, and there's millions of us, that say the election was, quote, unquote, rigged, stolen, manipulated, whatever you want to say, that it was not legitimate, it was wrong, and that's how we feel. Now, at the end of the day, Biden's the president. Okay. Now, did I want that not to happen? Yes, I did. And I went to Washington on January 6th. By the way, that anniversary is coming up very quickly. And so we went there to protest, not to storm the Capitol. Yeah, a a group of people did that, and it's being investigated. We'll find out the truth. Were they egged on by FBI agents, by the left, by Antifa? We don't know, because the truth is being very much covered up, and we can see that. Another tangent I don't want to get into right now, but when I say that, I'm talked to, you know, like as if Donald Trump is committing a criminal act by saying his election was stolen. So that's just how somebody believes. What happened to a free country? What happened to freedom of speech? What happened? I don't know, but it's being eroded and taken away. That's a problem with the year that we've just gone through. Now, going into the new year. What's different about it is that we've been through a year. It's been a season of discontent. I know. It has. Everybody is like, first off, with the shock of Joe Biden winning the election. You're right. It was shocking. Okay. Did we come out of it? No. No. That was the equivalent of a fog of war. It was like, whoa, whoa. What's going on? How's this going on? It was disbelief. It was shock to our systems, to our minds, to everything that we know and believe in, that we, that we see as clear as day. It's like some college team beating the best NFL team in the Super Bowl. Like, wait a minute. First place, how did that college team get there? How did Joe Biden get to be their candidate? Are you kidding me? This old guy, he couldn't even get past like, with Kamala Harris yet? Neither one of them could get past their own primary. Who could believe this is the team that they pick? Biden-Harris, get out of here. That's pretty much like that amateur playing against the professional team. And then here comes Trump in all his glory of a great presidency. Peace in the Middle East for crying out loud. Who could believe that? Yeah, I know the, the pandemic was tough. But, you know, that's the other thing. Every day. It's the media's war on the conservative. Oh, they could use Trump as the straw man, but it's us. And believe me, they called us names. They say, clinging to our guns and Bibles. We all smell at the Walmart. I mean, there's no difference. This is how they feel about us. If we're not liberal, if we don't vote Democrat, this is how the left feel. And we've seen that. And so, This whole thing comes out and the election is there and we're in like, huh? It's taken us a while to regroup. But while we're regrouping, you know, don't forget, he makes this speech on January 20th at the inauguration. Wants to bring the country together, which we're trying to say, okay, look, look, he's the president. Nothing we can do about it now. You know, let's hope for the best for the country. And the next day, or maybe it was that day, he closes down the Keystone Pipeline. And then in the next breath, he says, there's not going to be any more government leases for oil and gas exploration. Boom, right there. Now, okay, we go, whoa, 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 wait I'm, I'm confused. I mean, this is how fast this guy comes out swinging. It's one thing after the next. And then I think, I don't know, between... Closing the pipeline and getting out of Afghanistan. That went from, you know, the end of January to the end of August. There was so much in between. And then, and I said this on my podcast going back to last March. This creeping inflation went from creeping to walking to running. There's so much that's going on. The crisis at the border, it just keeps on going and going. And we're all seeing this and we're going, wait a minute. We can't deal with this. And then his dealings with Russia, he approves the pipeline in Germany. And then what he's doing with China, and we see all the stuff coming out about his son. We kind of knew about these dealings in the Ukraine, but now the dealings with China, and, and now we see how timid Joe Biden is dealing with Prime Minister Xi of China. And it's, wait a minute, I mean, there's so much. That's going on now we see the extent of this damage, but it's starting to sink, and we never anticipated the extent of the damage that they would do both intentionally. It's their policies, open borders, their you know global climate change and all that that's what both what they do intentionally and you know with their policies. That's the the intent. I don't think we anticipated it. And then, with how totally inept Biden's leadership and his inability to deal with any of the domestic issues, but I don't know which is more important, that or the foreign policy issues, I don't think we could have possibly said, uh-oh, he's going to walk out of Afghanistan On a date, no matter what the conditions, no matter what the circumstances, we're going to lose Marines and sailors. We're going to lose thousands and thousands of Afghan supporters of, I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought that was even possible. I think it blew our mind. And we're sitting there just shaking our head. The border crisis. How many people are dying? And then the hypocrisy of this whole COVID situation where we say, oh, you got to mandate vaccines and masks and this. And at the same time, there's thousands and thousands of people over the border coming into America. They don't have vaccines. They don't have masks. They're not tested. It's totally and completely, I think, a shock to most of us. But now the fog is clearing. And we've been seeing this now for months. You know, August 31st wasn't that long ago. I mean, the, the shock of that alone and how the fog is clearing and we see the path ahead to a better America. We see the damage done and how to undo it and what to do and how to move ahead and what to do to bring us back what to do differently, what to fix, and where the future problems lie. We're starting to see it. We're looking at it with much clearer eyes now. It's taken a while because of the shock of what happened. It's like a a car accident or a motorcycle crash. You go, boom, oh, my God. And you look around, okay, we're okay. And then you, oh my God, oh, I can't move my, oh my God, oh, I'm sick as a dog. Oh, my back. You're slowly trying to get back together, but you got to go through whatever. You got to go through the heel and you got to go through. Th- well, we've gone through it. Okay. And it's become obvious to the American people, not just the right wing, not just some wing of the Republican Party and not just the Republican Party, but all of America. Republicans, independents, and a lot of Democrats. Look, Democrats are Americans. I know some of them may feel differently about things, And, and we can argue the extent to which some of their beliefs are, you know, damaging to America, to the survival of this country. We can argue that point. I know I can, and when I do argue. With my Democrat friends. They kind of come in here with both guns blasting about how, you know, right wing conservative politics, Republican Party, and certainly Donald Trump is bringing the end to democracy. They've never been capable of defining that, but they certainly seem to be definite about believing it. But what's become obvious to all of us is that we need new leadership. That's not. Political as much as it is critical. And I say that because it's coming from the left. It's coming from Democrats. It's coming from the New York Times. It's coming from CNN. They're talking about who's going to be the Democrat nominee in 24. They don't think it should be Biden. We've heard them talk about it. They know that they have a major problem with Kamala Harris. They really do. But let's look at Let's look at what we're dealing with and when I say it's not as political as it is critical. The things that are political, Afghanistan, the border, okay, inflation, energy, COVID. I mean, you could say COVID may be somewhat political if you want to say, yeah, the left believes Fauci and the right doesn't. I'm sorry. I don't believe that either. I think we all have our doubts about Fauci. None of us know what the right thing is. You could say it's political because the left seems to believe in mandates, and the right doesn't. But then you have governors like Governor Paulus of Colorado who doesn't believe in mandates. There are others, too. We could talk about the budget deficit, the debt. That's not political. We blamed Obama. They blame Trump. They didn't blame Obama, but we blame Trump as well because we don't want to see the deficit blow up. But now look what's going on under Biden. So I think that whether you're a Democrat or Republican, this infrastructure bill, which was passed on the bipartisan vote, and then you have the BBB bill, which has not passed. Can I... Mention mansion because that's a big deal going into the new year. And, and what's this guy going to do? It's a big question. But the point is that the budget, it's not as—I I don't know. I, I put it in the political column, but I, I don't think it should be. I think we're all concerned about the debt. I don't know why Democrats don't seem to be concerned about— They got a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which, okay, they got that. Now they're looking at what looks like a $5 trillion BBB, Build Back Better Bill. That's what they're calling it. To me, the BBB is just bad, bad. And I know he's saying it's one point something trillion, but now, you know, the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, came back and showed that it's much, much more than that. They're lying and covering up. And Joe Manchin didn't just say he's against it because he's against the numbers. He's also against the way it's being sold. It's immoral and it's dishonest. And so when you look at that, you got you got Manchin, you got Kirsten Cinema. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've got other Democrats that aren't happy with this deficit busting bill. So it's not polit- let's talk about what is political because The political differences are also very clear. They're clearer now than they were before Biden came in. Yeah, we all saw what Bernie Sanders was doing, and he had a big following, and I don't think anybody understood. Now, Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's a socialist. He runs as a socialist. He talks about a socialist. But now we've seen he's a communist, pure and simple. So we've seen the onslaught, the influence of the Marxist slash communists in this country, which now they're making serious inroads. That's political. Plain and simple. There's a political line between what's America. This is a free country. And we have an economic system of freedom. That's our system. Open up a lemonade stand, a business, and, and whatever. You're all free to do that. Not so in a Marxist or a communist environment. do talk about socialism. It's a cover-up. It doesn't exist. It's only a pathway to communism. So that's what we have, and that's totally political. Budget priorities, the Green New Deal, climate change. It's the left wing. I don't know anybody that believes anything close to where I'm believing in believes in this Green New Deal or anything close to it. Now, you're going to tell me about climate change. Let's take the climate change question out of the equation. I don't say that. I say that in a way that says, let's just say that there is climate change. Let's say there is. You know, of course. You think it's man-made, and that's the difference. And I think it's just the normal course of how the universe has worked for billions of years that this planet has been around, and the how many millions of years that humanity has been here. It does change from time to time. But you think it's man-made because of the modernity and carbon footprints and carbon monoxide and carbon. Whatever. Okay, fine. So, Even if you're right, I'm not going to agree that we should choke America's business, American industry, America's way of life, if we can't get the absolute 100% guaranteed cooperation of every other country on the planet Earth, including India, China, Russia, and everything in between. And they're not stopping. They're not stopping. So you're going to kill our economy, which you did during COVID. Same thing. Politically, two weeks to flatten the curve. And what you did was flatten industry and business throughout the country. So many people went out of business. I mean, the damage is memorialized. Everybody's got that. So we don't have to try to prove it. It's done. It's there. And now you're going to tell me you're willing To sacrifice more of our economy and our way of life and all that just so that we can do our share, but none of these other countries will? if we don't have the leadership that can go out and convince China, Russia, I mean, Mexico, for crying out loud, they've been wearing masks in Mexico City for decades because you can't breathe the air. Nothing to do with COVID or anything else. They, you just can't breathe the air. It's, it's dirty, it's smelly, it's rotten. So you don't have all these other places. This is a political decision that is nothing but wrong, in my opinion. Then you have all these energy priorities. We have the left that wants windmills and solar, and we're saying, look, We want clean air and clean water, too. So we're willing to go a little bit. Let's have nuclear works. They don't want any part of it. I don't know why. All these left-wing environmental organizations do good, mean well, and all that stuff. Oh, we want to fix everything. What the heck do you have against nuclear energy? It's clean. It works. It's so much less costly. It's right there. We have the technology. So, okay, you know, a n- a nuclear, whatever, you can't get rid of. We will figure it out. Well, your answer is electric vehicles. What are you going to do with the batteries? Is there that much of a difference? I just don't think so. So we've got windmills, which, by the way, I think are t- horribly damaging. To the environment, first place they're ugly. You put them on these beautiful mountains that I love to ride my motorcycle through up there, and you know the mountains around Palm Springs and Palm Desert, and then going up in Nebraska and places where where I ride. Plenty of places in Colorado, but you know when you ride through Nebraska, and you see the windmills, just mile after mile, it's ugly. It's ugly, and it kills birds. God knows what else it does. And by the way, whether they're the windmills or the solar panels, I have solar panels on my house. I believe in it. But it's not the answer. It doesn't work all the time. Depends on the wind, the time of the day, how many hours of sunshine. There's so many variables here. There's too many things you can't depend on. Will we get better With time, as we learn how to build better batteries, talk about BBB, build better batteries, build batteries that last longer, take shorter time to charge, and let's learn how to dispose of them better. It will happen. But in the meantime, let's not put an end to oil and gas exploration. Let's not put an end to cars that use fossil fuel, gasoline. Let's not do that. But that's all politics. That's the left. That's what they do. And the other things are the politics, CRT, critical race theory, okay, in all its disguises, by the way. They're, you know, teaching racial policies, racial issues, this equity thing. The fact that I did something wrong because I was born white is just wrong. And let's talk about gender issues. There's only two genders. You want to tell me there's three or four? Or there's, what, 32? You see, we're going to fight over them. Those are political issues. The homeless problem, crime. These are all politics. Because nobody wants people to be homeless. Where liberal politics run those cities, have the biggest the most damaging homeless issues of any of the cities, San Francisco, L.A., And now, San Diego, with its creeping liberalism coming in. Oh, yeah. San Diego also has CRT being taught to our kids. Yeah, San Diego is climbing right up there with LA and San Francisco. And it's, you know, the cities that are blue, the big cities all seem to have the left wing Democrat, not even that left wing, just all Democrat policies. And these seem to be their policies. The crime issues are serious. They're all serious, don't get me wrong. But defunding and disrespecting our police is causing such damage to humanity, to the American people, to the average family. No, not the elite, not the super wealthy, not Hollywood stars of music and screens. No, they have enough money, they have a cushion. They're not struggling with a family of four making eighty, a hundred grand, or a hundred and fifty grand, or even two hundred grand. These people are making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. These singers and dancers and movie people—they're making millions of dollars. They're making bank. What do they get? They can afford private security. They can afford private schools and chauffeurs and drivers. They're totally insulated. From this crime wave, they don't have to deal with what normal people have to deal with. Do their own shopping, walk to school, walk through these neighborhoods. Look, I know people that live in some of these neighborhoods in New York, in Chicago. I know people in Chicago who live in beautiful homes in the middle of the city. Yeah, they're buildings, you know much of what we call homes in places like New York City and Chicago, are high-rise apartment buildings, but those are people's homes. And they're kind of sort of locked in. They're afraid to go out. They can't walk the block and a half, two blocks to a grocery store because they're going to get attacked. You know, this is what's going on. This is what's happening in America. I don't think the reality is hit. But it's starting to get there. People are starting to get fed up. Remember that movie, I've Had Enough and I Won't Take It Anymore? Remember that guy screaming out the window? I've had enough and I can't take it anymore. That's the American people. It's Joe Biden, the reality of what this country would look like with a left-wing administration with the policies of the left running the White House and Congress, and God knows, thank God, it's only a 50 50 Senate, and they only have Congress by four or five votes. Thank God it's that close. So we get a chance to look. It's kind of, for the American people, it's kind of like it's a wonderful life. Or even the Christmas Carol, where You know, in The Wonderful Life, you get to see George Bailey. He's living life, just an ordinary guy in his own little hometown. And he goes through the good times and the bad times, the ups and the downs. And some horrible things happen. But then he gets a chance. An angel comes out. Everybody's seen The Wonderful Life. If you haven't seen it, well, you may as well hear what makes it such a great movie. The angel comes down. It's Christmas. In Bedford Falls, and and George has reached the point where he's ready to end it all. It's gotten so bad. And believe me, he's going through, and you you go through it with him, the tough times. Oh, my God, it's horrible. You know, his life's had some ups and downs, like all of us, ups and downs. And now it's Christmas time, and the downs are just overwhelming. And he's ready to kill himself. He's going to jump off a bridge. And an angel shows up and the angel says, okay, George, you're going to kill yourself. I'm going to show you what your world would look like if you were never born. And George is taken through (laughs) his world without him ever having been in it. And he sees that his life has made this tremendous difference in the world around him, in the world that he lives in. When he was about 12, 13 years old, he saved his younger brother's life. His brother got thrown into the water. George is 14, the brother is 10 or 12, and George jumps in and saves his brother's life. And now it's all these years later, and it's just one thing. There were like five or 10 different things, but this is the one I remember. They go through the war, and by the way, when they went through the war, and I love this illustration. George Bailey did not join the Army. I think he went down, he tried, it didn't work out for whatever reason. But he stayed home and he helped run the civil defense and he did all these great things in town. And I always like to point out to people that didn't serve, we serve because we love you and we love it when patriots who didn't serve appreciate those of us who did. But everybody does their share. And George Bailey did his share, but he didn't serve. But his younger brother did, and then the angel comes along, and George is looking at the life that in he, that he, he he wasn't there. The wife that he had in real life, she was the librarian, and she had a miserable life. <laughs> All these other things, and then his brother Harry, who was a recipient of the Medal of Honor in in World War Two, I mean just. Saved thousands of lives and did some heroic things. He's looking for his brother Harry. He says, there is no brother Harry. He drowned in a terrible accident when he was 12 years old. These are the kind of things that are revelations. And now George looks back and says, You know what? It was a wonderful life. And that's something to see. We've had. That kind of a revelation for those who didn't appreciate what it was like without Trump, before Trump, after Trump. But we've seen it now. For those who see us, okay, we got a glimpse of what life is like with a Democrat in the office. Now we've seen this picture before, by the way. We saw it with Lyndon Johnson, we saw it with the peanut farmer. I mean, we've seen it. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I've seen it with Bill Clinton. You know, it may not be as even close to as bad as Biden. I saw it with Obama. Not close. We didn't see this dramatic exposure of the whole left-wing agenda. For some reason, they got in there. And instead of sliding it through in that politically nuanced way, that politics does, and certainly a slick Obama who's, I mean, come on. He was so clean and articulate. Those are Biden's words. And he was smooth as glass. And he was able to get all these things done, but he did it in a way, made a difference, slid this, did that. But Biden comes in and boom! You know why? Because he's got AOC giving them commands. And the squad giving them commands. These are the people that are running the country through Joe Biden. Because he doesn't know any better. And then when he does make it, then he gets a Lloyd Austin to be Secretary of Defense. Are you kidding me? So we see what was going on. The exposure of Afghanistan. I mean, my God, we still have hundreds of Americans stuck there. And allies, friends of ours, after the Afghans who risked their lives, they're still there. We see everything going on. We lost $88 billion of the most incredible weapons, the most updated American weapons. We left it there. Left it there for the Taliban, for Al Qaeda, for anybody. The people, it's the stupidity, it's so clear. It's so obvious. It wasn't like, okay, you're going to get a free look. No, we're going to pay for that. There are things that will not get undone. But now we've had a glimpse of the new year. And you know what? Before this year is over, I'm going to talk about how much do elections solve? I mean, elections have consequences. We certainly learned that. But what else will it take? What else will we have to do? You know what? I've had enough. And no, we're not going to take this anymore. The American people aren't going to take this anymore. And we're going to have to do a lot more than just vote. But let's take a long, hard look at where we are. We have a great opportunity. 2022 coming up right around the corner. What can we do? We're going to fix this problem. America is back. We're back and we're fighting. And we're fighting with everything we've got for the America that we love, the freedom of speech, the freedom to be able to keep your medical history private, to keep the government out of your light, to keep the government from mandating how you conduct your everyday life. You can't be indicted when you didn't commit a crime. You don't commit a crime because you don't want to get a vaccine. There's so much. That we should be thankful for right now that we have seen our eyes are open. Our fellow Americans, again, left, right, and center. Well, maybe not all the way from the left, but certainly, you know, the right and the center and the center right and so many Democrats. I mean, there's a lot of policies that we don't agree with, but one thing we all agree. I'm totally convinced of that. At least, and you don't have to believe in. Polls being the almighty thing and everything else. I'm not a poll guy. But polls do indicate something. And the polls indicate that the man who they put in the White House is very unpopular. And you know what that means. That means we got a job to do, folks. I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening to Roll Right Radio. And we'll be back before this year is over. I'm New York Mike, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.